this morning, Genesis chapter 16. I don't, I think he's got it from there. We're going to begin a series this morning on the wells of the Old Testament and uh, draw some truths and uh, some principles from these wells that are here. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that the things that were written of old are written for our learning. And as we study, we're going to learn some things from some of these Old Testament wells that are here. And uh, really, I believe that God has included them because uh, they give us a different perspective. Each of them gives us a different perspective of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's really a very interesting study. Uh, It's a foreshadowing that uh, they would give us of the Lord. And so it helps us to have some understanding and see a different perspective of our Savior. It's always amazing to me how God uh, will take eternal truths and then he'll give them to us in little bits and pieces and from different angles through Scripture Because an eternal truth is something really beyond our ability to understand. Amen? Uh, We can't grasp eternality. We cannot grasp. uh, We can somewhat grasp what it is to not have an end. But if you really want to blow your mind sometimes, sit and just try to figure out what it means to have no beginning. And uh, how is it that our God has no beginning? And you go back a little ways and you think, all right, there was nothing and there was just darkness and he was there. All right, good. Well, the Bible tells us he even created that. And so uh, he created space. He created all of everything there is to create. Before there was space to exist in, God still existed. It's an amazing thing. If you just start tracing back in your mind, your mind cannot comprehend it. And you know, I'm glad we have a God who's bigger than the little tiny mind that we have. Amen? Uh, He is beyond our comprehension. And our God is so amazing and our God is so wonderful that if he were to just simply say to us, here's this truth, there's no way that we could fully grasp it. And so rather, he gives us uh, understanding through some different areas, different ways, different uh, perspectives that we can look at, and he helps us to be able to put it together so we can really understand. And certainly, Jesus is that way. If God just simply told us certain things about him, and he does certain things, uh, but if he just simply told us, we wouldn't fully grasp it. And so God gives us uh, the Bible truths very specifically. And then he also gives us pictures. And in the Old Testament, there's a whole lot of pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're exciting to study. They're fun to study. And one of those uh, in several different places is the the thing that we know as a well. And so in Genesis chapter 16, we're going to find the first of these wells that we're going to study. And we're going to call it the well of revelation. And we see that it's going to picture about the Lord Jesus, that Jesus, the promised Messiah, the one who was coming, would be the one who would be the revelation of God the Father, the one who reveals God to man. And it really is an exciting uh, and interesting thing as we study. And so Genesis chapter 6, let's stand together as we look into the Word of God uh, this morning and read the verses. Genesis chapter 16, and we'll begin in verse number 6. It says, But Abraham or Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, harshly or rudely, very uh, even abusively is the idea there, when she dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, and it shall not be numbered for multitude. 
And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God that seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore the well was called Bir Lehorai. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. Father, I pray that you would speak to us as we study your word today. I pray that you would give the truths of this passage exactly as you would have them to be preached this morning. Help them to be received as they need to be received. Lord, would you work and speak and apply to each and every heart here. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When you've lost much or when you're all alone and you feel that weight of loneliness that begins to weigh in, you need a personal God. And I'm glad that here in this passage, we see God as a personal God, and not just in the New Testament, but the God of the Old Testament, a personal God. We know that the angel of the Lord here is a pre-incarnate form of Jesus himself that is coming and uh, speaking to Hagar, this uh, Egyptian slave of Sarai, and she's in a situation where she's lonely. She is all alone. She's out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, She is going through some great trials of life. And I'm thankful this morning we do not merely have a powerful God, but that we serve a personal God. That we serve a God who cares. We serve a God who pays attention even to the needs of his people, though he certainly is under no requirement to do so. What an incredible thing to serve a God who is good and a God who is lovely uh, and loving as well as a God who is powerful. Aren't you glad God cares? Aren't you glad God is a God who sees us, as Hagar would say of him here in this passage? What an incredible uh, reality of who God is. God wants to reveal himself. And maybe this morning you'd say, you know, Pastor, I'm in a situation. I uh, feel like I've just gone through some situations, some, some uh, things of life, and, and weight is beginning to crush down on me. Maybe you'd say it's the weight of loneliness. You say, well, Pastor, I mean, we're in a church setting. How could anyone be lonely? I mean, we're here with our brothers and our sisters in Christ. You ever been in that place where you're lonely in the middle of a crowd? I remember when I went to Bible college and uh, had sat out a year between high school and college and worked and uh, learned a trade and things of that nature. And I went uh, to Tennessee and I worked there with my uncle and my grandfather some. And and then after that, I came back here and my mom rode with me from here out to Lancaster, California. And we got there and I got to uh, West Coast Baptist College. I knew one person on campus. I'd met two people, counting uh, the uh, leader of the tour group that I had met, who was the dean of men. And uh, so I really didn't hardly know anybody. And And I remember we got there and we looked around and got registered and all those kind of things. And then the day came, it was about two days in, I think, of the time being there that I had to drive down into Los Angeles. I'd never been in traffic like Los Angeles, and uh, at least what I had heard of. And uh, so we took off and I drove my mom down to the airport. And you know, all that Los Angeles traffic was just a myth. I mean, there was nobody hardly on the roads. We just flew right down there, no big deal. I dropped her off. I turned around. It was about 3.30 in the afternoon. And the myth vanished, and it became reality. And uh, I'm telling you what, the whole way down there, I thought, this isn't so bad. I can, this isn't that much worse than Kansas City. I can handle it. And uh, then we came back the other direction. I mean, we were moving about two miles an hour, and all of a sudden, motorcycles started flying between the cars, passing us up. And I thought, these people are crazy. I mean, somebody's going to open a door, and they're going to be dead. And, uh, and then I saw a police officer, and I thought, oh, he's going to get them, the next one that comes by. 
And he came by flying right past that police officer, and the police officer just sat there. I thought, this is the strangest thing. I didn't know that was normal yet. And uh, then before long, I saw a police officer on a motorcycle. By. And I said, I guess it's normal. And so uh, we were, I uh, was kind of learning this culture on the fly. And, and so I had been in traffic for all these hours. And finally I said, you know what? It's going to be just as fast to get off the road and go to In N Out. How many have ever been to In N Out Burger? Amen. Praise the Lord for that. And so I said, it's just time to go get an In N Out Burger. I'm not really going to be any slower. I'll wait till traffic clears up. So I went to In N Out, ate a hamburger, ate some monster fries, and uh, had a great time there. And just kind of waited till traffic smoothed out. And then I got back on and I went home. And I mean, I'm telling you, that ride home, uh, well, back to campus at that time, uh, that ride was probably the longest ride in my life, even if I wasn't stuck in traffic. And uh, then that on top of it. And I felt like I'm all alone in a great big world, and it's just, uh, I'm not a small person necessarily, but I felt real small in that moment. And then I got back up to campus. The next day, the classes started, and the one person on campus that I knew, Elisa Rasmussen, uh, Dr. Mark Rasmussen's daughter, uh, if you happen to know him, and she walked uh, past my chair on her way to go find a chair in the classroom. I said, hi, Elisa, how are you? Class hadn't started yet. She said, I'm good, and she kept on going. The teacher spun around. She said, who's talking in my class? And I thought, well, I don't know who's talking. I didn't hear anybody. And she said, I mean, you know, class hadn't started when I said something, so I knew I was safe. And she said, who's, who's back there talking? Who did I just hear talking? I said, well, I said hi to someone on their way by. And she said, uh, stand up. And she made me stand in front of the whole class. And for about the first 75 minutes of class, it was really about 60 seconds, but it sure felt like a long time. And she just raked me over the coals and just grilled me on why I was talking in her class and everything. And I just, I didn't know what to do. I felt so alone anyway. And now I felt even more alone. And uh, finally she let me sit down and she went on about the class. And it was an English class of all things, which I hate that anyway. And uh, so finally we got through that class period and I survived it. And I walked up and I said, ma'am, I said, I'm really sorry. I wasn't in any way trying to be difficult. or I didn't know class had even started yet. You were still turning around writing stuff on the board I just I really was just saying hi and she said oh no you didn't do anything wrong and I said really somehow I thought I had that minute and a half that you drilled me in front of everybody made me think maybe that was the case I didn't say that but that's what I was thinking and she said no no she said you just look like someone could handle it and I have to really let somebody have it right at the beginning of the year and that way everybody knows to pay attention to my class and I thought well I wish I didn't look like I could handle it (laughs) I mean, it was the loneliest I've ever been, and I was standing there, and I tell you, I was in the middle of a crowded room, but I felt like I was a thousand miles from anybody. I felt like I was all alone. Maybe you say, Pastor, I'm here this morning, I'm in the middle of a crowded, well, almost crowded room, crowded for 2020 anyway, and uh, I'm in the middle of situations of life, and maybe even in the midst of a family, or in the midst of a church, or in the midst of whatever your situation is, and, and you say, it's not that there's no other people around, but in the middle of the situation I am, I feel just like that. I feel like I'm all alone. I feel the weight of life pressing in. I feel some of those pressures that are there. And and maybe you'd say, I I understand what you're talking about this morning. Either I've been there, I am there, or, or there are situations that are mounting towards there, even right now in my life. You know what? The Bible has the answer for that. And the fact is that we're in the middle of this uh, COVID scare and all these things that are going on. And, and there are a lot of people right now in our world and a lot of people even in our churches that feel very alone. 
They feel very isolated. It's a dangerous thing when we become isolated. And, and many have gotten there. Many are feeling that. And maybe this morning, uh, whether you're here in this service or watching online, you'd say, you know, I feel a little bit isolated. I feel like I'm, I'm away from that relationship and that friendship with others that I so desperately need. And what do we do in times like that? How do we handle those situations of life? And I believe this morning that the Bible gives us some answers And the Bible reminds us that Jesus really is the answer, no matter how lonely we may be, no matter how great the pressures of life may be, that Jesus is the one who stands and says, I'm the answer to all of it. I am the one who can meet every single need. Hagar here has lost everything. She's completely alone. She's in the midst of the wilderness, and she's feeling it, no doubt. And I want you to notice with me, as she's in this situation of life, three wonderful traits of our personal God as Jesus meets with her specifically at the well of Revelation. I want you to notice, first of all, an outcast discovered. An outcast discovered. The Bible tells us here in verse number 7, and I will establish my covenant. Excuse me, I'm in 17. Let me come back to 16. Verse number 7. And the angel of the Lord found her by a uh, fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to sure. Isn't that an interesting wording that uh, the angel of the Lord, Jesus, that he found her. Now, Jesus is God. The angel of the Lord, that's Jesus pre-incarnate. He is God himself. Don't you think that God knew exactly where she was the whole entire time? And yet, the Bible tells us he found her here in the wilderness. And you know, the reality is sometimes we feel like, God, do you know where I am? God, do you understand my situation? Do you understand the pressure of this, uh, this thing that's going on in my life? Do you really understand the loneliness? And the fact is, yes, God sees us. God is aware of where we are. He's aware all the time. But then he brings us to some places of life where he can come to us in a unique manner. And it's not that he found her as in he didn't have any clue where, he, where she was, but he found her. It's a place where God brought her to. And really it has more to do with her understanding than probably uh, anything else that now in this place, God's brought me here, this place of loneliness, this place of distance, this place of, uh, of wilderness living, this place of pressure and this place of weight, this place out here where nobody seems to know or care. And when I got there, I found out God did care. When I got there, I found out that the Lord found me even out here where it seemed like nobody would find me. And I found out when I got there, I think would be the testimony of Hagar, that there is a God in heaven who was paying attention not only the whole time, but when I got to the end of my rope, he found me in that very place. He was there. He wanted a relationship. He was the one pursuing this relationship with her. I see an outcast is discovered. Uh, I see, first of all, she was lonely and forbidden. She was lonely and forbidden. Look at what the Bible says. Again, verse number uh, 7, he found her by the water, the fountain, the fountain, the way of Shur. Then verse number 8, and he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid. Now notice the questions. Whence camest thou? God knew where she came from. You know, in the Bible, God asks a lot of questions, but they're never for his own knowledge. The questions that God asks, they are always for us to consider the answer. They're always for that person. They're always uh, with the purpose of bringing repentance or bringing change or bringing uh, a consideration of a thought. And so God asks her these questions, whence camest thou? And then he follows it with, and whither wilt thou go? 
Here's what he says, hey, Hagar, what's your plan? Hagar, what's your plans for life? Hagar, where are you coming from and, and where are you going? How's your plan of life working, Hagar? You know, sometimes God allows us to come to the place to realize our plans are just not working out very well. Has God ever let you come to the place that you said, you know, this was my plan, this was my dream. I mean, I thought this was, and it's just not working. And he brings Hagar and he allows her to come to this place and he says, Hagar, Hagar, think through this. Where'd you come from? Hagar, where are you going? What are you going to do? And, and, and if you look at it, she gives her whole plan. She's down to really a pretty simple plan. And she said, she doesn't really answer either side. She said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. Hagar, where'd you come from? Hagar, where are you going? Hagar, what's your plan for life? You know what? I don't really know anymore. The only thing I know is I've got to get away from this pressure. I've got to get away from this situation. I've got to get out of this, this thing that I don't understand why it's happening. I've got to get away from that. So I'm just fleeing this situation of Her situation of life was named Sarai. Her situation of life was the abusive treatment that she was receiving. Her situation of life was that. Your situation may have a whole different name or it may have a whole different setting, but it may be today that you'd say, you know what, I've come to the place, I'm just trying to get out of a situation. And sometimes we come where we say, I don't really know what all the plans are. I don't really know how to think long distance right now. Lord, I'm just trying to get to this next step. I'm just trying to get out of this. And God speaks to her. He says to her, first of all, he comes and he finds her. She's lonely. She's forbidden. Nobody wants anything to do with her right now. She really is going to have a hard time even turning around and going home, I'm sure, by her own estimation. I mean, if Sarai was rude before, if Sarai was mean and abusive before, what's she going to do when the slave runs away and then decides to come back out of the wilderness? So she probably looked at it as there's no way to even go back. She's lonely. She's forbidden. But not only that, she's longing to be free. Sarai, where are you going? I'm just going away. I'm just trying to get out of here. I'm just trying to escape. How many teenagers have made a bad decision because they were trying to escape a situation? How many adults have made the same type of a decision, though? And here's a woman who says, I'm just trying to get to where I understand some things. I'm just trying to get away. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I just long to be free from my mistress, Sarai. I just long to be free from that treatment. And if it means living in the wilderness and trying to figure it out, I'm willing to take that chance. I'm just trying to get out of the situation. She was lonely and forbidden. She was longing to be free. She was looking for fulfillment. She's looking for something better. She's looking for a better way of life. And not only that, but she was lost, but not forsaken. You know, here's somebody who in life had come to the place, she's just wandering through the wilderness. You know, sometimes it may not be a physical wilderness, but we end up wandering through the wildernesses of life, and we're lost. Have you ever met somebody who you knew when you met them, they just obviously don't know what it is to have the direction and the peace of God in their life. And they're searching and they're trying to figure it out. And they're just kind of wandering through the wilderness of life. And maybe from the outside looking at it or from a human perspective, maybe we should say their life is a wreck. And I mean, they've just totally ruined everything about life. And you look at that and you say, you know, If you'd come to know Jesus as your Savior, he could take and restore and make something beautiful out of what human planning will ruin. Have you ever seen somebody, maybe in that place, they're in the wilderness, their life is a wreck. 
And then they trust Jesus as their Savior, and they begin to live for God, and they begin to grow in Christ, and all of a sudden their life starts to change, and it blossoms, uh, and it becomes like a, a flower in the desert. I mean, it just blossoms into something beautiful and wonderful. And you know, they were lost at one time, they were wandering, they were out, and the, their, their life just didn't look like it had any promise or any hope or any peace. And before long, you see them a couple of years later in church, and, and, and I mean, they just, they're filled with joy, and their face is radiant. And by the way, I'd rather have somebody going the right direction than somebody that already thinks they've arrived at the right location, amen? And they're growing, and they're just changing, and what an exciting thing when a church is filled with people that are just, uh, they're getting saved, and their lives are changing, and everything's fresh and new, and they don't understand it. There's nothing more exciting than working with a young Christian like that. Working with somebody that their life is becoming what it's supposed to be. There's nothing more draining than an old Christian that thinks they don't need to change anymore. Amen? I'm glad we don't have that in this church. Praise God for that. But, uh, I mean, it's just something about that life and that change and those years of, uh, of just growing in Him. And so many of us have been through that. And, and, and maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian home and you got saved and your life has changed and you can look back at what was and what is now, and you can say, look at what it could have been if I'd have stayed there, but look what it is by the grace of God. And you know, sometimes somebody's life may not look as much of a mess outwardly. And they may be put together, they may even have a lot of stuff, they may even have a lot of financial well-being, and they may have uh, the uh, ability to be very sharp and, and very well put together, but the reality is that in their heart, they're searching. They're longing for freedom. They're living in bondage. They're seeking for uh, someone or some way of living a life filled with peace and filled with joy. And they've got some, some things of this world, but they don't have what's missing in life. And maybe they can't figure it out. And they're lost in the middle of the desert, and they may not outwardly look like they are just desperate for Christ. But you know what we know is that somebody who doesn't know Jesus is their Savior, whether the outside looks put together or whether the outside looks like it's in shambles or somewhere in between, they need Jesus more than anything else in the world and they're desperate for him, but so often they don't know that's what they're desperate for. And they're searching and they're seeking. And what it is, there's an outcast. And you know what the devil does is he wants to take and destroy a life. And this world system that he's in charge of wants to take and destroy people and then cast them over on the trash heap of humanity and say they're no good. They'll never be any good. There's no use for them. And that's why we live in a culture uh, that so many are ending their lives prematurely. And they're saying, you know, there's really no point. There's no purpose. There's no plan for me. I don't even know why I'm here. I'm really just a evolution accident anyway. What's the big deal? There's nothing after this life. I have no purpose to be here and my life is useless. It's miserable. Why would I want to be here? We live in a world that those are the questions they're asking. And you know what they're doing? Like Hagar was running from Sarai. They're just running from the situations of life, trying to find a reason for, pur for purpose, trying to find a reason for hope, trying to find a reason for joy. And they're not finding it in anything this world offers. And then comes along somebody when sometimes they get out in that wilderness a little ways. And in their own mind, they're on the trash heap. And you know, God specializes in taking ruined, messed up, broken lives and putting them together and using them for his glory. And somebody comes along and says, you know, what you need is to know Jesus as your Savior and introduces them to the Savior. And all of a sudden, their lives are completely changed for the glory of God. You know what we're supposed to be? We're supposed to be the ones who are out introducing people to Jesus. What a joy, amen? What a wonderful work to be involved in. 
Maybe you're here this morning or maybe you're watching online this morning and you'd say, you know, Pastor, I, I would like to have that. I feel like I'm that outcast. I feel like I don't have any real friends. I feel like I, I don't know how to have that joy and that peace and that hope. And, and that's what I'm looking for. And that's what Jesus is going to meet Hagar. And he's going to reveal to her here at this well about himself, about God, about how to have a real and true relationship with him. And, and so we see here, first of all, an outcast discovered. Secondly, though, we see an obscure destination. Here's the place where she's discovered. It's a a place of great interest, but it's very obscure. Uh, Verse number 7 tells us that he found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. Here she is in the wilderness. Now, humanly, uh, she's in an actual physical wilderness here. And as she's in the wilderness, the greatest need that she would recognize she has is the need for water. Probably it's hot, probably it's a, uh, it, it would be a desert-like type of a situation here. And, and so she has a need for water, and she's here by this well, and she's seeking water. It's nothing special here. It was not a place of much availability even of water to sustain life. It, it was a well, it was deep, a deep well, but, uh, but it's not like she would be able to live here forever in any kind of relative comfort or probably even enough to sustain. It's a dry place, a hard place. A lonely place. Here she is by the well of water. She's not here to go on vacation. It's a place to avoid, not to go. And yet she finds herself in this place of life. She was not here by choice. She was here by desperation. And you know the reality is we live in a world that is living where they are, not by choice, but out of desperation. A world that is a world that is struggling, a world that is trying to figure out what's the next step. And, and perhaps today you're going through things and you wonder, why is it that God has allowed this situation in my life? Why is it that I'm in this wilderness situation? And, and maybe you'd say, I don't know for sure if I died right now that I would wake up in heaven. And, and yet God, if he's a loving God, why would he bring me to where I am? If he's a loving God, why would he let my life go like it's going? If he's a loving God, why would he let me encounter all these struggles and all these problems and all these trials and end up in the place where I'm living today? Can I say to you, if you come to know Jesus as your Savior, then you'll say, hey, you know what? I praise God for all the problems and all the trials and all the situations and all the struggles that brought me to the place that I was ready to say, I cannot do it and humble myself and receive Jesus as my Savior. You see, we look at things short-term because we are short-term. We may live 80 years, 90 years, maybe 100. I saw the other day, I don't know if it's true or not, somebody that just had their 133rd birthday. But you know, 133 years sounds to us like a really long time. But the reality of it is that in the grand scope of eternity, 133 years isn't a drop in the bucket. We think, well, what about this trial that lasted a few months or years or even decades? And and the reality is that God in his goodness recognizes the struggle of life, if it brings you to the place of eternal salvation, is far better. I ask you this morning, first of all, have you come to the place where you know Jesus is your Savior? Do you know for sure that if you were to die that you would go to heaven forever and ever for all of eternity? Do you know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? That's the most important decision that anyone will ever make. It's the only decision that really affects you after you're dead. Do you know for sure heaven will be your eternal home? The fact is that you might say this morning, I don't know if anybody really loves me. 
I don't know if I, I, I don't understand the situation and I feel alone and I feel like I'm going through this battle and this struggle and I don't understand where I am and what the situation of life is and, and, and why would God allow all of these things? And can I just say to you tonight uh, or this morning that, that there is somebody who loves you and not just a church of people in Kansas City that love you, but the reality is there's one who loves you greater than anyone else ever could and the Bible says he came to this earth as God who took on flesh. You know, in all the religions of the world, you see men trying to become God. This only one is the reality where God became man specifically so he could die on a cross because God so loved the world, God so loved you, that he died so that he could give his life that you might live. But as we heard sung just a few minutes ago, then on that third day, that body began to breathe and Jesus rose from the dead. He was conquering. He was victorious over death, over hell, over sin, over the grave. He was victorious over it all. And now he says that whoever will come unto him can have life eternal. Whosoever will may come, but you have to come to the place that you're willing to come. I wonder this morning, you say, I don't know if heaven would be my home. Would you be willing to come? Would you be willing to come by the way of the Bible, the way of the cross, and say, I'm not going to try to do it by my own merit? It's not about how good I am or how much I've put in or how much labor that I've done. It's about one thing, Jesus dying on the cross. And I'll simply receive what he's already done and receive him as my Savior. That's the greatest opportunity in the whole world. 100% guarantee it'll work for all of eternity. You say, Pastor... You're talking about being saved. You're talking about coming to this well in the middle of the wilderness. And you're talking about coming to this place in need of a Savior. And, and, and what a wonderful thing when you come to know Christ as your Savior. Maybe this morning you'd say, I've done that. And, and I agree with you. It's a wonderful thing. And, and praise the Lord, I've done that sometime in the past. And praise the Lord, that's been dealt with. But, but what about me this morning? I am saved. I, I, I've been saved maybe for a while. I've walked with God. The best I know, I'm walking with him as I'm supposed to now. But I feel like I'm in the middle of a situation. I feel like I'm in the middle of a wilderness. And God's not bringing me to anywhere to be saved because I've already made that decision. And, and we understand the Bible teaches that once I've received Jesus as my Savior, I can never lose that salvation. It's secured. It's eternal. He can't give eternal life if it's not eternal. Amen? And so it's secured. It's, it's for sure. So why would God let me come into a hard situation of life? Can I say sometimes it's because he brings us to the place and we need to go through those wilderness times, those lonely times, those hard times. Because it quenches or, or it gives us a thirst once again, fresh and new, for the living water. You see, the great need of this woman, Hagar, was not the physical water that was several feet below, uh, below her in the ground. The great need that she had was the Savior who would one day stand beside a similar well and speak to another lady who was there to draw the physical water and say that he is the water of life and that she could drink freely of him and never thirst again. And he spoke to her of salvation, but you know sometimes when we've been to the well, and sometimes when life goes smooth for a little while as a Christian, if we're not cautious, if we're not careful, we can come to the place that in a sense, our thirst is quenched. 
In a sense, we feel like I, I, I'm serving God and I'm doing what I'm supposed to and life is going smooth and, and I don't have that uh, insatiable desire for the water of life. And you know what God does in those times so often? He allows us to go through a little bit of a wilderness time and in his grace and in his goodness and kindness, he allows us to come to the place where once again we are desiring and thirsting afresh and new for the water of life. We are thirsting again for that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are thirsting again to come back once again to him that we might be overflowing with his joy and his fullness once again in life. You know, it's the goodness of God that allows the trials of life. It's the goodness of God that brings us to a wilderness well. I see here that there was a woman, she's an outcast who was discovered. God knew exactly where she was. I see that she had an obscure destination, a place where she would come to and where Jesus would meet her there, a place where she least expected, but God had already planned and anticipated this divine meeting. And then I see thirdly, an outstanding discovery. This is really the message wrapped up in the last point. I mean, really, until now, it's all kind of the preparation. Here, she comes out into the wilderness, and she comes to the well, and, and he meets her there, and God meets her in a special and unique way, and, and he finds her in this place, and, and it's an obscure place. It's an obscure destination. He had to bring her here in order to meet with her in this kind of a special way, and, and it's God's plan and God's desire to bring her to this very well, but now she's going to discover some things at this well. She's going to discover at this well some truths about the eternal God of the universe. I see, first of all, she discovered the look of God. The Bible tells us again in verse number 7 that he found her. She discovers uh, that he is noticing or he's paying attention to her. And then in verse number uh, 11, she says, Because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. In other words, he is paying attention. He is listening. He's looking. He is, his, his gaze is upon her. And she says that and clarifies in verse number 13. She called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, thou God that seest me. Here's a woman. She's in the midst of a situation that nobody cares about her. She's a slave of Egypt who was taken by Abraham and Sarah before those were their names. And then she became the slave of Sarai. And now she's being mistreated. She's being abused. She's been mistreated by Abraham as well. She's been used in an improper manner, in an improper fashion. And that's why she's pregnant with Abraham's baby. And all of the people in the whole world, nobody could care less because all she is is a slave of Egypt. Nobody cares about this person. Nobody wants her. Nobody cares that she has anything done wrong to her. Nobody cares if she's beaten by her master. Nobody is paying any attention, humanly. But you know what she found out? There may not be any people that see me. And there not, may not be anybody who's looking on my situation with pity or compassion. But there's a God in heaven who sees me. There's a God in heaven who cares enough about me to have a personal relationship. He's a personal God. And there's a God in heaven who in my time of greatest need, my time of greatest loneliness, my time where I thought nobody cared, I found out that while nobody might, God does. And she calls on him and calls his name. Her greatest need at this moment, she realizes it's not the water in the ground. Her greatest need at this moment, it's not to just feel better about herself and have some kind of a renewal of how she sees herself. 
Her greatest need at this moment in the psychiatrist, her greatest need at this moment really is not even the God who would protect her. She doesn't call out uh, on God my banner, Jehovah Nisi. She doesn't call one of these other names. Here's what she says. She says, I'm going to call him the God who sees me, a personal God. You know what's revealed here at this well? We have a God who is personal and who's loving. Aren't you glad we don't have to wait till we get to the New Testament to learn that? All the way back in Genesis, and we see it before here, but all the way back in Genesis 16, we find a slave girl nobody cares about, but God cares about her, and God comes to her. Maybe this morning you say, Pastor, I don't know if anybody really sees my situation. I don't know if anybody cares about my situation. There's people every single day, uh, the, the teen suicide rates in the United States of America have been climbing and climbing and climbing for uh, a decade and a half, two decades now. We are, last I checked a couple of years ago, America was the fastest rate of teen suicides of any country in the world. You know what's happening? We have young people, we have teenagers that say, if I'm not here, no one's going to miss me. And they feel like nobody sees me. They feel like nobody cares. And yet the reality is there's a God in heaven who sees you, who cares about you. And it doesn't matter how far we've strayed. It doesn't matter how far in the wilderness we may be. God sees us. We see here, first of all, she discovered the look of God. And then uh, we really see that in verse number 7. And then we see that she discovered the leading of God. Verse number 9, it says, And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. We don't have time to look at that this morning. Uh, it's a whole message just right there in that phrase. And it's really an amazing thing to think about being told that. She just said to God, my only plan is to get away from her. God's immediate response, go back and submit yourself. It's an incredible response. It's an incredible reality of, of a truth that God is teaching here that we find again in Romans chapter 11. And so uh, here the angel of the Lord says to her, I want you to go back. I want you to submit yourself under this harsh, cruel, unfair treatment uh, that you're dealing with in life. Verse number 10, the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly that it shall not be numbered for multitude. So she discovers the leading of God. He tells her, go back. It makes no sense. Undoubtedly in her mind, the command of God and the plan of God make no sense, and she doesn't have any interest in doing them, but here's what she does learn. He'll lead me, he'll guide me, he'll direct me, and even when I don't like it, he'll at least make clear what I need to be doing. So she says, here's a God who sees me. Not only that, here's a God who has a plan for my life. So now God tells her, go back, submit yourself, and he makes this promise in verse number 10. It's incredible. It probably sounds familiar to you. Uh, he says to her, he'll multiply her seed exceedingly and uh, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. Then he tells her to call the name of her child Ishmael. You say, Pastor, what's so interesting about that? This is the only place in your whole Bible where God ever made a promise like this or gave a command of what to name uh, a son like this that God ever spoke in this manner to a woman. No other woman in Scripture did God ever promise to multiply her seed. It's always the man. God promised Abraham he would multiply a seed. God promised Jacob. God gives the promise of multiplied seed. But this is the only place he promises it to a woman. You know what God's doing? He's saying, Hagar, I have a plan for your life. Hagar, you may think you're just a slave girl that has no purpose and no use. Hagar, you may think that, that nobody sees and nobody's paying attention, but Hagar, I have a plan for your life. 
So that which has been reserved for what we would call the patriarchs, the, the great men of God, Yes, they were failures, and yes, they sinned, and I'm glad God lets us see some of that, but they were men of God too. And these great men of God who were walking by faith like Abraham, I mean, these, these men who are the patriarchs of Israel, God says, Hagar, I'm going to bring you right in that same line as far as the promise I'm going to make to you. She's not in the, the lineage, I'm not, but, but I'm going to make an equal promise to you to what I did to Abraham. And Hagar, you're going to have a seed that I'm going to multiply. And God is saying, everyone else might see a slave girl. I see someone with potential. I see someone with purpose. And I see someone for whom I have created a plan for your life. Isn't it amazing that the God of heaven would come meet a girl like this one-on-one, out in the middle of the desert, Perhaps not even uh, 20 years old, probably uh, most likely less than 20 years old, but somewhere around in there most likely. That God would come and meet her specifically and promise this to her specifically and say, now go back and just obey me. We see that she discovered the look of God. We We see that she discovered the leading of God, that God cared for her, that God would lead her life, that he would give her direction, even down to what to name her child, down to the promises that he would give to her. So she discovered the look, she discovered the leading, and then I see that she discovered the love of God. Verse number 13, and she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, thou God that seest me, for she said, have I also here looked after him that seeth me? In other words, I did not come here seeking him. He came here seeking me. What a God. She discovered when I thought nobody cared, there's a God in heaven he didn't just see. There's more in this. She's saying he loved me completely. He loved me so extreme that he would come and meet with me out in this place. And because of that, verse number 13, uh, excuse me, verse number 14, wherefore the well was called Beer Lahiroi. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. The Bible tells us here that this well, uh, the word beer, you'll find that on the front of a lot of these, B-E-E-R, and uh, it just means a very deep shaft or a deep hole. Typically, it would refer to a well, uh, but not always, but typically it would refer to a well. So it would be the well, uh, and then the name of this one specific that would set it apart or be its specific naming is Lahairoi. Uh, that word means, the, or, or the word altogether means the well of the one who sees me. So she names the well. She's out here. God meets with her. She says, he's the one who sees me when nobody else does. He's the one who loves me and cares for me when nobody else does. He's the one who pays attention to me when nobody else does. So I'm going to call this place, this well, Bir Lohairoi. And you can say it probably better uh, because your Hebrew is probably better. But uh, she says it in this manner. And she's saying, look, this is the place, the well of him, the God who sees me. This isn't just my well. This isn't just a well for people. This is a well where God meets with people because God sees them and because God is revealing something about himself here. And so it's given this name uh, on behalf or uh, because of her meeting with God in this place. And then it goes on and it says uh, uh, that it is between Kadesh and Barad. All right, why does that matter? Why does God put it in the Bible that it's between these two cities? It's not just geography. The word Kadesh, the city name Kadesh, it means sacred or holy. 
It's a place of being set apart. It would be the idea or the picture, if we could uh, put this maybe for a moment in New Testament terminology, that when somebody gets saved and now their life, they begin to live a life that is sanctified and pleasing to God and set apart to Him and for His use. And, and we would say that they are living a holy life. doesn't mean they're perfect. But it does mean that they are uh, somebody who's been set apart for the use of God. We call this the Holy Bible. You know, the reality is that uh, when that cow was still alive, there was nothing holy about this leather. Amen? And when this tree was still growing in a forest that made up the paper, there was nothing special about that tree. It's a tree in the middle of a forest. It's a cow in the middle of a field. But what happens is when somebody took that tree and they chopped it down, made it into paper, and somebody took that cow and they made out of it a leather that would be used to bind a Bible, then they take and eventually they put it all together, they print the words, they put the binding on, and they stamp on the outside, Holy Bible. Here's the reason. It's not that the leather changed. It's not that the tree changed. It's that the purpose of it, it's now set apart for the use of God, for the use of containing the Scripture, and it is the Holy Word of God. It's the Holy Bible. It's not the leather and the paper what it is it's the words which it contains it contains the very word of God it's been set apart for his use this piece of leather these pieces of a tree they've been set apart for God's use so they contain a holy bible here's what it is in our life it doesn't mean we are perfect we never come to that place in this life amen but living a holy life it's that I have a life that I have given it to God it is set apart for his use Yes, I fail. Yes, I fall. Yes, I have to get things right. But I'm not just going and living however I want to and doing my own thing. It's a life of holiness. It's a life that is set apart for his purpose. So that would be uh, this word, this place, Kadesh. If we could picture it that way, a person who's over here would be somebody who's set apart, somebody who's holy. Then there's the other word. Uh, that is the word, bered. The word bered means hail. In the Bible, uh, we find many times hail, it, it pictures the judgment of God. And here, that would be the idea. It's the place between holiness and hail. The place between a life that is sacred, a life that is set apart, a life that is holy, and the judgment of God. Here's the picture that God is giving us. Somewhere between those two places, those two destinations of life, We come to a place, it's a well in the midst of a wilderness, not a physical well necessarily, but it's a place where God meets and reveals himself to us. And somewhere in between those two destinations, those two places that we can arrive, God gives us an opportunity to come to know Jesus as our Savior. It's an amazing thing that God says that if we seek him, we will find him. That that if we'll come earnestly seeking him, that he'll be the one to meet that need and reveal himself to us. And that God does not just come bring us to the place of judgment because we were defined to go there. By the way, when you were born, God did not destine you to go to judgment. Amen? And when you were born, God did not destine you to go to heaven. It was not predestined. It's a decision based on a person who comes and they understand who Jesus is. And now they have a decision to make either to receive or to reject Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so the Bible makes it very clear and gives us an understanding that this is how it works. That we come to this place of revelation. That we can come to the Word of God. That maybe a soul winner knocks on our door. Or maybe we hear a message that uh, defines for us that Jesus died on a cross. That He was buried. That He rose 
rose again. And if we'll receive him as our savior, we can be saved and go to heaven forever. And we don't make a decision based on what was predetermined and predestined by God that we would either go to heaven or hell, but rather he brings us to that place and he gives us a decision to make and we have a free opportunity called free will that we can choose to receive or reject. And then that destination comes as a result of the choice. So this morning, have you made the choice to receive Jesus as your Savior? Maybe say, Pastor, I've never even heard all of this before. And the reality is God may have brought you here this morning for this to be your place, your well of revelation, a place where you could hear there's a God in heaven who loves you. There's a God in heaven who came to this earth to die on an old rugged cross so that when he shed his blood, the Bible says he took your sins and my sins, not on his back as a burden, but in his body. He did not just simply bear our sins. He became a sinner for us. And the Bible says he who knew no sin, he became sin for us. He did all of that, that God the Father turned his back. The only time the Godhead was split, turned his back on God the Son. And God the Son, Jesus, hung on that cross and where he typically had cried out, Father. Now he cried out, my God, my God. Literally, my judge, my judge, why have you forsaken me? He took all of the punishment and the penalty of my sin and your sin and every sin in the world on himself in his body on the tree that by his stripes we might be healed. Have you had your sins forgiven this morning? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus himself? If not, then perhaps he's brought you here today that you might understand that you can have that. Perhaps he's brought you today, and perhaps you've even come today because you're seeking what's the answer to life. There might be someone in this room, there might be someone that you're saying, you know what, I'm just about at that point that I'm going to think life's not really worth living any longer. And maybe you're saying, I'm giving it one more shot, I'll listen to one more message, I'll see what God has to say. Or maybe you'd say, I'm nowhere near that. But I don't know for sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. I don't know if I have that relationship you're talking about with Jesus. Can I say to you, that's the most important thing in all the world, is to know Jesus as your personal Savior. Do you know that this morning? Have you been cleansed by his blood? Has your sin been washed away? It's your choice to make the decision. Let me encourage you with this. And we're going to have an invitation here in just a moment. It's just me inviting you to make that decision. And maybe this morning you'd say, I need to make that decision. Let me encourage you, don't put it off. Because the Bible says life is like a vapor. It's here for but a short time. It vanishes away. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. I hope you'll have another opportunity to make that decision. But it could be that today's your last chance. Don't choose to say no to God, even for today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. Maybe you'd say, Pastor, I know I'm saved. I'm going through some challenges. I'm going through some trials. I'm going through some of that loneliness. I'm going through some of those pressures of life. This morning, I just need to come and thank God. I need to be thankful in everything. I just need to come and thank him, even for these problems. And I need to allow him not to drive distance between me and God or distance between me and brothers and sisters in Christ, but instead to drive me to the word of God for a fresh glimpse of him, a fresh drink from the well, so that I can be restored so that I can go forward for him once again. Father, we